Hello and welcome to episode 181 of the Waters Waveland podcast. And today I'm joined by my usual co-host, Tony Milikian. Hi, Tony. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's, uh, it's been a little while since uh, we've actually been on together. Yeah, you miss me already? I, I do. I do wish. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> great, great to hear. Uh, I can't say I say the same, but... Um... <laughs> You know you miss New York at least. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. I do miss New York a lot. <laughs> so this week we had some acquisition and investment news, and we also had some articles out on uh, AI. So I, this is the two topics that I would like to talk about today. Which one do you think we should start with first? Um, I think let's let's go with uh, the news first because I think that there's certainly two interesting, um, I guess, deals that were made here. Uh, first, we had um, on February 3rd, uh, Rhymes, it was announced that uh, EQT, private equity firm from Sweden, that they were going to be making a strategic investment uh, into Rhymes, uh, the reg tech and data management provider that many of you are well aware with, especially if you read Waters Technology. Um, and then right after that, a day or two after that, SIBO um, uh, announced that it was uh, purchasing two different uh, vendors. Hanwick and FT options. So I think uh, start there if that's cool with you. Yep. Okay, maybe we can go into the the Rhymes one first. Let's go by, by chronological order. Um, <laughs> so this one was fun and for a couple of reasons because I'm going to let the listeners in uh, a little bit on how the sausage is made in a media uh, room. But in mid-December... Uh, Barron's reported that Rhymes was up for sale, said that uh, they had saying that it was going to go for, um, it was expected to sell for a quote, big price, uh, which was pegged around 400 to 500 million, according to the Barron's article. Um, then there was speculation around who would buy it. Uh, you know, there's some outlets saying it was going to be, you know, the LSEG, uh, London Stock Exchange, uh, then Bloomberg, FactSet, and IHS Market were all thrown around. And where I come from on this is I never really care about the rumor mill of acquisitions because either a company's going to be acquired or it's not. But for our audience at Waters Technology, you know, we, on the podcast, I'm happy to speculate about things. But in print, it's just speculation, you know. It's we're not that, you know. Go go somewhere else if you're looking for this kind of horse trading, you know, horse race kind of thing to see who's going to buy someone. Because at the end of the day, you often sound, you know, you sound then wrong. Um, mm -hmm. And as it was, Rhymes wasn't actually acquired by anybody. Uh, they decided to change course, and we had heard speculation. Uh, Joe Wright and myself had heard some speculation even prior to this EQT announcement. That, they, that there wasn't going to be an acquisition. But we didn't write that either because, who knows, maybe there's still a thing. Because here's the thing that people always have to remember is whenever you read those articles about a potential sale, sometimes it's just a trial balloon that somebody's trying to put out. Sometimes it's a competitor that's trying to undercut another competitor. And sometimes it's the actual firm trying to drive up the price on their own uh, organization. And so sometimes these reports are correct sometimes they're way off and you kind of saw that as well with the uh the, the wall street journal wrote that's and fair enough that the wall street this is the wall street journal's job to kind of write this but they had that story about uh, the intercontinental exchange looking to buy uh, ebay and 
then apparently that's gone nowhere. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just a it's just a ploy for like how how companies use the media to do all sorts of things. Yeah, exactly. You know, and and listen, trust me. I've been doing this for 10 years. There have been times where I'm, I'm sure I've been got, you know, where, where you know, I was putting out stuff that just trying to help, where I ended up helping somebody else. And, you know, so you, you, you fall into it. You, you write enough stories. It's, it's going to happen here and there. But we are certainly trying to cut down on that. Um, so anyway, it was announced, though, that EQT was buying in. And it's interesting because... You know, Rhymes is has been making a big, big push in recent years in the reg tech space um, with their uh, market surveillance solutions, uh, reg focus. It's cloud-based reg focus, BMR control um, for the EU's benchmark regulation. Um, they have a lot of different data, uh, data management uh, offerings. They don't produce the data, but they, they are able to package and um, kind of get control over the data. So... They were naturally an interest for exchanges. Um, they, they, this is a kind of a product that could easily fit into an exchange. Hence, why we were hearing that LSEG was probably one of the, if it was probably the leading front runner. But that's just speculation again. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just bought Refandiv, and that hasn't closed yet. It's supposed to close later this year. Um, but I, I liked what uh, Virginia O'Shea. Uh, she's been a consultant in this field for a long time um a lot of respect for her and you know she had noted that you know that reg tech research and development it doesn't come cheap so yeah there's always pressure to either be bringing in more investment or else then you do have to partner up and so she has told us that um so this is a quote from her the realm of reg tech providers is broad and there are quite a few large providers with deep pockets in order to re- remain competitive in that space, vendors need a discretionary budget to invest in the next 10 technologies that their clients and the markets demand. Uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning don't go cheap, so this investment will allow Rhyme to double down on the necessary, necessary R&D to keep pace with the technology and regulatory change. And so that's why this deal certainly made sense uh, for Rhymes. It's an unknown market a little bit, you know, with Brexit, with the election coming up in 2020, perhaps right now wasn't the best time to make a deal or maybe that they just weren't getting the price that they were looking for from the exchanges and from the other uh, uh, data providers. So I think that's where where we come at from Rhymes. And then let me just, the other interesting end of this, if, if, if I can just ramble on a little bit more, Weishan. Okay, sure. I give you permission. Thank you. Thank you. She's used to my rambling on, um, <laughs> is the EQT part. This is a company that I'd never heard of. I looked through their portfolio of companies. I'd never heard of these um, companies, at least not in the, the, the capital, their, um, the technology and software uh, companies that they invest in. So here's just a, a little bit of some interesting stuff that I found about them. Um, they have had actually an interesting last few 12 months. Um, their parent company, EQTAB, uh, had an IPO last year, went public. And at the time, they were saying that they were going to look to get into the, that they were going to look to really kind of make a big investment in the credit space um, and, and, and CLOs. And then they, in January, um, they announced that they were actually going to have a review 
of their future strategic options for credit. And so this is from a Bloomberg report that I was reading, but they aim for the review to be completed by summer. All options are on the table, including an exit from credit. And so Casper uh, Kalashram, uh, the COO, he said, quote, if we keep adding products that are different, both from an operational perspective as well as from an investing perspective, that adds complexity to our business. I found that to be interesting because, mm -hmm. all right, so they might make this move out of credit, out of CLOs, and that they're going to try and bolster more in the software space. Stuff that, because they, while, while I might not be as familiar and while maybe some of our readers aren't as familiar, I spoke with a couple MMA, M and a mergers and acquisitions people and they said that they're very very big in healthcare and are well known in healthcare in financial technology capital markets financial technology they're not as well known at least from what i've heard um i think it's interesting then that when that you kind of say rhymes investment for me the rhymes investment came out of left field i, I wasn't expecting them to be the investor maybe they'll look to wind down some of their other business lines and make a more concerted area of investment in these kind of data management um, tools in the capital market space, which are and, and regulation space, and there is a lot of crossover between reg tech and healthcare technology. You see it with IBM a lot too; that mm -hmm. they, they kind of dabble in both fields. Um, so I thought that that was pretty interesting. And then the other thing is um, the CEO Christian Sindling. I'm hoping I'm saying his name right. Um, they're also going to be looking to make a growth in the APAC region. Um, so for our audience in the APAC region, might be of interest there and in the, re, uh, in the real estate. Um, so that's why I thought this was you know, a pretty interesting deal. It's also going to help Rhymes to expand its ETF and ESG offering. Um, so a lot of different interesting parts. It wasn't a pairing that anybody was really expecting, but – It'll be interesting to see how this plays out now over the next two years, two to three years, because private equity comes in and then two, three years down the line traditionally is when you kind of see the next deal be made. Um, so I guess that's where I'm coming at from that deal. Um, what, what did you think about it? Yeah, um, I, I thought it was pretty interesting that, I mean, before this uh, the news broke that uh, EQT was actually investing in, in Rhymes, you know, uh, the fact that people speculated that L LSEG is, is interested, um, I thought that kind of uh, brought back the question to how exchanges are, are looking to expand their, their own business lines. And something, um, again, Virginie uh, O'Shea said uh, that really kind of punched punched through. She said that, you know, as a data services provider, it makes sense for Rhymes to remain independent for now, as buy-side firms are often hesitant to work with the same firm for data provision and data cleansing support. So the investment from EQT allows Rhymes to remain independent. So I'm thinking if, if indeed uh, LSEG or any other exchange were, uh, uh, was interested in, in uh, taking over Rhymes, you know, or, uh, or perhaps in the future, even you know, what are the conflicts uh, conflict of interest there? You know, of being a primary primary data provider and then also having uh, a data cleansing and data support business on on the side. Um, what what do you think there? Yeah, it's an interesting question that I, there are a lot of questions, a lot of concerns because 
obviously the exchanges are trying to figure out new ways to generate revenue and to build out their services as market data fees are under great pressure, um, both in the United States and in Europe. We saw it with the LSEG deal of, Refri of Refinitiv. There were a lot of concerns there when it was first announced that, you know, that there would be some regulatory hurdles that would have to become because of conflicts of interests, um, worries about proprietary data, uh, being able to see competitors' data, stuff like that. The regulators kind of gave it the green light, and it, by as best as I can tell, it looks like uh, that this deal will close uh, later on this year. I think that as we see more and more of these acquisitions happen, and then as there's more exchange consolidation, um, and we'll talk a little bit, but you know, like SIBO has gone through, has had a bunch of uh, different acquisitions over the last few years. As actually, I think you know what? I, I think this is actually a good uh, entry into the SIBO announcement. Uh, <laughs> if I can switch course here just for a second, here, Wei Shen. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, let let's go into that because it it does tie uh, tie them both together, I guess. Yeah, if you're going to be talking about exchanges. Yeah, <laughs> Because SIBO has obviously gone and made a bunch of acquisitions. And one of the acquisitions that they made, um, just so this, this acquisition they made this past week was of uh, FT Options, a portfolio management platform uh, that combines research with risk and volatility analytics, and Hanwick, uh, um, a real-time risk analytics provider. Hanwick was bought in 2010 by the International Securities Exchange. Um, or I'm, I'm sorry, the International Securities Exchange purchased a minority stake in Hanwick. And then NASDAQ went and acquired the uh, ISC. NASDAQ became a minority equity shareholder in Hanwick. And now SIBO bought out those shareholders for this acquisition. So you could start to see how the complexity <laughs> can start to spread. Um, but so far, it doesn't appear that anybody's throwing up any – no one's throwing their toys yet or anything like that. So that's fine. Um, and – but it, to your point, it, it does raise an interesting question. But So let's look at this deal here just a little bit uh, quickly here. SIBO's um, hoping that these buys will position the exchange and you know, just really bolster the risk analysis with a focus on portfolio and balance sheet risk. Mm -hmm. Um you know, this is going to allow for uh, more transparency in the more complex margin models that exist and for the ability to determine margin exposures in real time. This is what Reb Natal um, wrote for us recently. Um, as it relates to the ISE, Hanwick's newest analytics uh, is the borrow intensity indicator, which was launched in 2018. Using machine learning predictive analytics, the indicator provides transparency for securities lending rates. The ISE used to have a stake in QuadReserve, a securities lending platform, and it led a $34 million uh, preferred stock investment round to support it. One of the questions that I've heard brought up is, you know, whether the SIBO, whether SIBO um, which is known for really being quite innovative in terms of launching new options contracts, has something strategic in the works relating to uh, securities lending and short selling information. Perhaps that can be an interesting byproduct that can come out of this now. should be noted that uh, Catherine Clay, uh, head of information solutions for SIBO, told Reb that uh, they wouldn't comment on whether they were planning to release any options contracts related to SEC lending or short selling. 
Uh, but she did say it's a conversation to be had internally over the next few months. So I think that that's where this deal is going to be interesting. And then on the FT option side, uh, uh, Mike Izake, uh, the CEO, you know, interesting guy. The company's very interesting. Um, they have a, a volatility analysis tool, which would which probably will work well with live vol, um, with the live vol business that SIBO bought a few years ago. But that deal shows from an exchange perspective that these exchanges are so hungry to just gobble up as many pieces to really build out their suite of solutions. And, you know, this is why we're going to keep on seeing it. And then what happens as more exchanges merge with other exchanges? Um, obviously, in Asia, you know, the Hong Kong exchange, they're hungry to make a deal. They've been <laughs> they've been poking around at a lot of different deals here for a couple of years now. Right. Yep. So I, I think this is where we're going to see the consolidation efforts really, really kicking up here in 2020. I think it's just um, I, I guess a, maybe a culmination of many different factors and how exchanges in general, I mean, they, they, they can't rely on market data fees or IPO fees anymore. Um, you know, and they're just trying to, or basically they're flexing their muscles and uh, looking at different different options that they can bring under their wing and yeah. and make more money, basically. Um, yeah. yeah, so. Yeah, I mean, like, I have no idea what the hell that, uh, that uh, the ICE uh, announcement of eBay was about, but, you know, it just goes to show that, you know, we're going <laughs> to, like I said, there's fewer IPOs. Um, there's greater fee pressure on market data fees. You know, they, they got to figure out new ways to evolve their businesses. Otherwise, consolidation is the answer. Right. But at the same time, they've been doing this or they've been looking for ways to do this for quite a while now. So, I mean, will, they just, will this just mean that they would just continue looking for new business lines instead of maybe, um, I, I guess, going it alone and trying to come up with, with one themselves, whatever that may be? Yeah, I mean, cause, but, because while, yes, this has been going on for a while, we are seeing exchange consolidation um, that happens. And then that gives – once you have enough exchange consolidation, then it gives birth to your um, to your members' exchanges, to the um, – mm. what what's the uh, Flash Boys exchange? IEX. IEX. Um, those kind of things, yeah. And But, you know, IEX is struggling to find a footing in this market. Members Exchange has an uphill battle coming, um, so yeah, I, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. You know, um, if I did, then I would imagine that I would not be the editor of Waters, but I'd be actually working at one of the exchanges. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think it's going to certainly be uh, interesting. Look, I, I, I do think that exchanges are going to keep on looking to acquire um, for the innovative pieces, for the the machine learning, the AI pieces. That's where I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, now granted, NASDAQ has done a great job, really interesting gamification technology, really interesting uh, market surveillance through the smarts platform. Um, but they've also made some strategic acquisitions themselves. So I think that you're just going to keep on seeing these uh, acquisitions along the way. Um, and that's just that's just going to be the nature of beast as more and more fee pressure exists and there are fewer and fewer IPOs. Right. And I mean, Consolidation is not only happening in the exchange space; it's going to be happening across uh, Every- <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. Yep. So this this uh, it, we're only in the start of February now, so 
still got a quite a few more months till the till the year is up so yeah there'll be plenty more of this i would imagine good deals already (laughs) yeah sure yeah so i'd like to now segue into ai (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. uh so i i thought it was pretty interesting that uh and again joe gallagher good work here um that the person she spoke last week joe too yeah or two weeks ago (laughs) so um she's doing a great job um so she put out a story on nomura uh basically the deputy chief digital officer matthew hampson uh he came out saying that uh questioning basically could could ai predict market movements and to him he's not convinced that this will ever happen and i found this interesting because this this notion that ai could be used to predict market movements was something that has been talked about a lot and speculated on a, a lot. And even some uh, some companies are actually using this to help them um, look at, uh, to, to help them kind of predict how markets are moving. So by him saying that he's not convinced that this will ever happen and that the technology has limitations to do that is uh, got me a little bit uh, stunned, I guess. But what he says makes sense. It says like, you know, he said, and I quote him here, like, the market is stochastic. It has a level of randomness that is challenging to model. And it's not like it's a turbine failure or the way retail shoppers buy food or whether you're going to develop an illness. Those areas are based on physics or biology and therefore statistical models work well. With the market, you can have a singular event that is not statistically relevant, which can pivot a market. So... Um, the notion that uh, AI can be used to predict the markets kind of like crumbles, I guess. And and this also just reminded me of a, a story that I, I did in the past on Morgan Stanley and some of the drawbacks that using AI in, in trading, um, uh, yeah, some of the drawbacks that AI has in trading, which is uh, the bias that it can introduce because the the model, the AI models that you come up with is only as good as the data that you put in, right? And how much data can you actually put in? Is there is there uh, is there a problem with putting in too much data? Uh, and and what sort of yeah, basically what sort of data are you feeding feeding it? Um, so Tony, what do you think of that? Well, I, I understand what he's saying certainly. Um... I, I I think it actually comes more down to what people are talking about when they're talking about using machine learning. Now, there are certainly companies, especially on the vendor side, that overhype what their machine learning algorithms can do and can predict as far as market movements. Because you're right, absolutely right that market movements, if, if, if AI models were so good at it, then you know, you just really let those run. And there are actually hedge funds where that basically exists. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I know Renaissance big, but God, what's, um, quanta, quanta mental or something like that. Quanta mental is an investor. God, I can't remember. But so there are hedge funds that do exactly that, that use AI to predict where the market is moving. And they spend a lot of money on, on their data scientists, their engineers and their developers, and it's going to be tougher, I think, for a big bank to do that. I think that if you are a smaller firm, 
you can actually do the have a focused targeted unit that can work on this banks are subject to so much more regulation to so much more um shareholder pressure um i think it is going to be a little bit more difficult for them i i don't necessarily fully agree with the premise i guess i think he's right um i guess he's right on a certain level that yeah you if these were so great then everybody would be using it and that's just what the markets will be in the future is just machines trading on machines and then how are you going to ever find a winner and loser who the hell knows and it's subatomic speeds that trades will be made at and then you just get rid of the humans right yeah. but that's a pretty dystopian look at it um i do think that machine learning can be used to we're we're just going to keep on saying this augment what a human can do what a trader can do you provide a trader with enough information and if you can cull down the sea of information all these you know 100 years of data information all these different uh, market volatilities that have been seen and if it can start to see that there are patterns arising then a trader can use that see that be alerted to it more quickly to make a trading decision i fully do believe in that I'd be interested because he was speaking at an event, um, so I'd be interested to see what he would think on that. Maybe we can get have uh, Matthew Hampson, uh, he's the chief digital officer for Nomura, come in on the podcast and uh, just uh, explain that to us. But he was also, um, who is it, uh, Michael Deliaros, God, I'm sorry if I butchered that name, uh, he's at Goldman Sachs, said something very experienced. Uh, very similar. He said, my experience, these application AI tools are very limited in their capacity and cannot run and you cannot run 200 billion of equity investments on pure AI. Exactly. It's exactly yeah. that. You can't, that that's too big of a portfolio, but take it down to the trader level, take it down to the augmenting what a trader can do. And now we're having a different conversation. So I think it's a matter of degrees on the conversation that we're having and we all have to be having the same conversation. Otherwise, we can kind of then start to kind of say this person says this, this person says this, when really there is actually a lot more uniformity, I think, in what AI can and cannot do at this point in time. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I, I do agree with that. But at the same time, it's it's like, um, yeah, at, at this point, the machine is limited. And, and Stellary Arrow said this, sorry if I also butchered it. But yeah, he said that the machine is limited by the human that is coding it. So... I mean, yes. at the end of the day, it is still a human that is programming uh, and coding, I guess, the the, the models. Um, they're just using the help of AI and some machine learning tools to do that, right? Or actually integrating some machine learning tools in creating the model itself. But that could be different when, in, when a machine is actually making the models themselves and Maybe in the future, not too distant future, maybe that could happen too, right? But Well, I think, though, that this is actually to, to point out to a different article that we wrote, um, Point 72, um, hmm. Matthew Granade. <laughs> <laughs> point 72 Asset Management. Hey, listen, I got a tough Armenian name, and my own family says it multiple different ways, so I'm sorry if I butcher names. But Matthew Granade gave a, a very interesting presentation, but talking about 
this idea between the words systemic and discretionary investment and how those lines are blurring greatly. And a lot of that has to do with technology advancements and, you know, in this model driven world of advancements in both speed and processing power and, and machine learning and stuff like that. So I think that it's more just a question of how does it change your strategy? Are you nimble enough to evolve with the markets? Are you patient enough to experiment with new tools and to potentially experience some losses in in the in the outcome and in, in in the near term? I think that those are kind of the, the more the questions that need to be answered um, rather than this: Does AI really change investing? Does it or can it really be used in equities trading to predict markets and stuff like that? I think it can. Hmm. If that AI model is put in the right hands on its own. No, the machines are not that good yet. We're not there yet, but put in the right hands. I think that it can certainly help and make uh, a very good trader. It's steroids. It's maybe steroids for a, uh, you know, to use a baseball analogy, you know, takes a very good player and turns them into a hall of famer. Maybe that's what it does. And again, I'm not a trader. So, you know, Wait, Shane, have you figured out how to bleep out words yet so that I can start cursing again on the podcast? <laughs> no, but I can try. I, I, I will, I'll try to do it now. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, yeah, what the f- do I know, basically, is what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> I think that is where the conversation is heading. <laughs> uh, well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see uh, with, with how this develops, I guess. And, and the thing is that maybe this can happen, or maybe AI predicted predictability can can happen at a small scale but um i mean looking when when uh, a big a large bank is looking at doing that that obviously would present a lot more challenges and um as some of our people that we've quoted in articles say that it's just too complex to model um there's just too many factors right so perhaps on a smaller scale this this is possible but for right now um i mean ai can be used as a human augmenter, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Steroids for trader. <laughs> Steroids for trader. That's a good headline. <laughs> there you go. And just as it's true as with any steroids, you, you you screw up the dosage, you screw up, you know, that you take uh, some really backwoods kind of steroid or something, it can have some really negative side effects. Same thing with AI. Don't expect just because you're taking steroids that all of a sudden you're going to hit a baseball 500 feet. There is a little bit more that goes into it than just that. <laughs> yeah, and, and all the failing as well. Uh, I mean, yeah, as, as we've, we've talked about before in the past, I mean, they just have to be, firms who have to be more open to that. Um, and, and seeing how, how fast they can fail and how fast they should give up and move on to the next project. Yeah, fail fast. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> uh, coming on to more fun things. So you were telling me a little bit, a little bit about The Irishman, uh, this movie that's on Netflix right now, right? So uh, I think... Don't worry, no spoiler alerts. <laughs> or no, no spoilers. Don't worry, we're not, no spoilers here. Well, yeah, no, no spoilers. Um, I haven't watched it myself, but the three-hour, uh, the three-hour, um, oh, three and a half. Okay, wow. Well, uh, it could be, it's, 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 I think it's at least over three hours. It, it was long. <laughs> yeah. So we were talking a little bit about how we are so warped in our thinking about timing now, um, and how 
I'm less reluctant to, I mean, for example, I'm, I'm less reluctant to click on a movie that's three and a half hours long. Um, but at the same time, I can binge, binge watch, um, for example, maybe a, a Korean drama series and go from episode to another episode and eventually spend like six hours sitting on the couch just looking at handsome Korean boys. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I tried to sit there and watch at least 30 minutes of Strong Girl, whatever her name was, but I, I, could, I could only take about 10 minutes. <laughs> Strong Girl Bong Soon, but yeah. <laughs> but yes, it, it is interesting that, like, so Wei and I, and I were talking about this, just that, so The Irishman, it's a, it's a good movie, so I'm not going to give away anything here. I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, Scorsese, he's trying to drive home certain points and thus why it's so long. There are times when I get upset with a movie being way too long because I do believe that having a good editor is important. <laughs> Just like me. Um, <laughs> right, Wei Shen? Right, 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 right. And, uh, but it is just funny that our, our perception of time now has, because of our smartphones, because of binge watching and streaming services, like how impossible is it now to watch a commercial? I pay extra for like Hulu just so I don't have to see a commercial. You know, I, I'm, I'm literally paying a, what probably amounts to five or 50, 60 extra dollars just for that one app in a year, just so I don't have to watch any extra commercials. We as a society are becoming just so impatient, and but also <laughs> our time is warped. It's like, ah, oh, sit down for three and a half hour movie. There's no way I could do that. Sit down for eight hours on a Saturday afternoon and just you know wake up at you know nine and just at nine o'clock at night go through a whole series of you know go through billions the whole season yeah i'm totally on board for that right it's just weird that our minds are just warping and i'm old i'm 40 years old um imagine you finally you're a admit kid that. now growing up yeah thank you shut up <laughs> <laughs> took me a while to get over it um but uh imagine like you're a kid growing up and now this is just normal to you now. Like commercials were just every, you know, we, you know, we grew up, I literally grew up with a TV where I had to stand up, walk over the TV and physically turn a dial to change the channel. That's how old I am. <laughs> now people are just streaming whatever they want right into their, and they're just like, you see kids on the subway trains, uh, the subways, uh, Jesus, uh, <laughs> just watching movies on their thing and they're just transfixed and you can't pull them away from it. God forbid that a commercial popped onto the, onto the iPad while they're watching it. It just blows my mind at how our brains are turning to mush. And I, 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 I there's not, I have nothing. I have no grand theory about this. It's just, I know for myself, I loved watching Irishman. I watched it straight through. I've talked with several people um, who watched for like 15 minutes are like, you know what? I'll watch this some other time and they still haven't watched it yet. Here's another thing that I love. Apparently, so this movie was released on Netflix and I can't remember the percentage, but it was a huge, like some like 80%, something like that of people that started it only got through like 15, 30 minutes of it. 
And it made me laugh because at least Scorsese now knows what it's like to be a journalist where you spend just months working on a story. You put it all together, you know, 4,000 words, 3,000 words, 2,000 words, whatever it is. You present it to the world, hopefully in perfect, you know, perfectly fashioned, this gem of an article. And people will read about three paragraphs and go, eh, I got the gist. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I have one one question for you. While you were watching it, did you look at your phone at the same time? Oh God, Wayshan, I hate myself. But God, I, I literally hate. Like I talked to my therapist about this shit. <laughs> 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 like I have been trying so hard of late to just put my phone down and not just just keep it away from me because if it's anywhere within reaching distance and I'm watching television. I'm going to pick it up. Sometimes when I'm working, I'll just like see it there and I'll be like, oh, pick it up and look at Twitter. Even though I'm on my computer and I can just go on to Twitter on my computer. No, screw it. I'm going to go on my phone like a like a just just somebody's just been brainwashed. Like, you know, just a Manchurian candidate. Something clicks on in my brain and I'm like, must look at Twitter. I, there's, <laughs> I, I don't I, I'm working on it. Wei Shen. I, I hope to one day move to the mountains where there's no. Like no cell service, no nothing, and then I'll just start, you know, having to watch old VHS tapes again and reading books. <laughs> if that ever happens, you would have to first go through like a period of withdrawal, I'm sure. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. It would be like you know coming off of cocaine, you know, it'd just be like, <laughs> yep, yeah. My heroin addiction would really take a hit. My heroin being obviously you know, uh, my, my online addiction and not actual heroin, you know, that, that I already kicked a couple of years ago, but, <laughs> but I'm, I... <laughs> the whole world knows now. <laughs> well, the thing is, you're not, you're not alone in, 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 uh, in being, I guess, guilty of doing that and having the need to like, look at your phone, even while you're doing something. Um, and I think this, generation i guess including ours sorry yours and mine <laughs> um has has this habit to uh we we always want to be multitasking okay not not that we want to be but we are um that that's just how technology has has uh, made us who we are today <laughs> so like yeah. um, i mean Usually when I'm watching something on Netflix uh, or on TV in general, um, I am looking at my phone. But sometimes it's also to be... Um, I mean, I'm, I'm like researching more about the show that I'm watching. Like, who are the act- actors and actresses? Uh, where are they from? Uh, what, are the, what other work have they been doing in the past? What this story is really about? So, but I, I don't know if it... Um, I mean, sometimes it gives me more insight into the show, uh, which is which is kind of cool sometimes. Like uh, if, let's say, the they they did stunts on their own, or uh, you know, this actually is based on a real life story, or it's based on an, uh, a really famous book or something. But um, it does. Sometimes I find myself like I, I catch myself being distracted and I'm like, wait, I'm, I'm actually watching this show, but I'm like looking at my phone more than I'm actually looking at the screen. I mean, the bigger screen. <laughs> yeah. So, well, don't you think, 
that a problem though? Because like the crown, I, I completely agree with you. Like I watched the crown, and because I know nothing about English the monarchy and stuff like that. You know, I'm, I'm sorry, Christopher Zabai, Robert Mackenzie Smith, Louis Woodall, Faye, you know, all, all my British friends and everything like that, Peter. But I just know nothing about the, the British monarchy, so I'll be pulling up my phone to look at that. But you said something. I'm not alone. Everybody does it. But once you start normalizing it, then it's 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 like if everybody was doing cocaine, like, you know, if everybody was doing heroin, everybody is doing it now. And then it becomes normalized and it becomes like, ah, yeah, it's fine. Whatever. Everybody does it. You know, you're not alone. It's fine. But I think that's just it's kind of like Orwell, 1984. You know, once you really kind of start getting everybody doing the same thing and nobody really thinks twice about it, that's when a societal issue becomes or maybe i'm really blowing this out of context (laughs) (laughs) i don't know is it is it good for it to become normal is that what we as a society are striving towards we look at multiple screens at the same time and yeah but we're not (laughs) trading stocks on a bloomberg you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh what are we becoming what do you think i don't know I don't know. I'm, I'm glad I don't have kids. I've, I've never wanted kids. Don't, you know, knock on wood. Hopefully we'll never have kids. Um, but uh, I, I, I don't know how parents are going to deal with it. I, I truly don't. And it just, it gets worse and worse and worse. You know, it, it's going to be, or not worse and worse and worse. It becomes more and more challenging because technology, technology is what frees people. Information, more and more information is what frees people. It, it's what expands people it's what can drive people it's a great thing technology and information right at your fingertips it can also be used for evil with you know your deep fakes your fake news all those kind of things but for those who want it information and technology can make you a better person but it's a drug and if not used in correctly if not used in moderation i guess then you know, it, it's got some really bad, dangerous side effects. Yeah. Mind you, I'm just going to keep on drinking this beer right now that I'm having. <laughs> uh, well, okay. I think we actually have gone on maybe a little bit too long today. Um, too long. <laughs> it's not going to be the last time, I'm, I'm sure I'm of it. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. Uh Hopefully I guess what, you know, this is why we do the, this is why we do the timestamp so people can just skip ahead you know they can just listen whenever they want you know yeah. that, that's the whole point maybe maybe they want to hear about acquisitions maybe they want to hear about AI maybe they want to hear about how machines are warping our brains and turning us into mush you know they can make their own decisions <laughs> yes yeah that's that's right <laughs> okay well with that I'll leave you to the timestamps um, yeah it's uh, really great to have you again Tony it's good to have my normal host with me again there we go yeah <laughs> back on a regular back on a regular pattern we, we, we are doing good again one one up per week yeah yeah we are <laughs> okay well till next week then um have a good week have a good week guys